This is a recording from a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. All right. Well, you guys, it, uh, if you weren't here last week, neither was I, um, which was great. It's our first Sunday not being here. It's our first vacation since we've started the church, and it was amazing. Um, it was an eventful last few weeks in our church. We were talking about this morning. Um, there was, I think, three babies that were born within our church the past two or three weeks, um, and so my little niece, Dahlia, I think, has made her debut tonight as well, um, and so that's super exciting. We've had couples get engaged. We, have a, we had two people in our Two couples in our church get married um, in the past few weeks, and so, man, so much life is happening, and it's so exciting to watch what God's doing um, through your families, and uh, and getting to go spend kind of uninterrupted time with my four kids and my wife the past few days has been so good and enriching, um, and and you find out a lot about yourselves on vacations. I don't know if you realize that, but we decided to go the route of taking an RV. So we rented my dad, not rented, we borrowed my dad's RV. That's like 26 foot long, 2002, cool um, RV. And we just drove up the coast and kind of saw different parts of California. And you, a lot happens when your bathroom, bed, car, and couch are within one space, um, especially with four kids. Um, so that was great. And we grew our character a lot in the Lord. Um, but uh, along, along seeing these beautiful sights of Big Sur, which, by the way, lives up to the hype. Go there, Instagram it. doesn't matter if it's cliche. It's so worth it. Um, we went to Santa Barbara and Carmel and went down to Sequoias, and that's where things got a little interesting. People ask, like, how was it? I'm like, it was high on the adventure, low on the relaxation. Um, specifically, uh, we're, we're at this amazing campsite right by a river in the, near the Sequoias, and we're like, let's go see General Sherman, like these massive trees, our kids are going to be amazed, and they're like, can we stay? We're like, no, you're going to like this. Get in the car. Um, so we're, we're driving up, and then we get to the mountain, and it's like, sorry, your car is too big, we're doing road work, you got to go around. And you're in that moment, you're like, well, should we do it? Just go back to the campsite. I'm like, we're going to do it, and the kids are like, no! Like, shut up, be appreciative. So just, I don't say that. I'm just, just kidding. Um, so I said it much nicer, maybe. Um, so we get in the car, and then we have to drive like two hours around, like Visalia, and we go up. And we're, we're going up the mountains. We're like, we're doing it. We're almost to like, I think we actually entered into the park. We're kind of like a, probably an hour and a half, two miles, two hours up in the mountains. And all of a sudden, the RV just stops working. <laughs> which is awesome, right, when you have four young kids. Um, and it's one of these narrow mountain-like streets, and when uh, we just stop, and we, I'm pushing the gas, nothing's going, and so cars are, like, lining up behind us, and I'm, we're just, like, my kids just start crying. I'm like, what's happening? And I don't know anything about cars, so I'm like, I don't know, it's a USB port probably. So it's <laughs> my guess. Um, so we finally, I get it turned on, like, just prayer power. We got to this, like, little turnout cars pass us, we turn around, I'm like, okay, we're going downhill, gravity's going to do its thing, and then the battery goes out, and that just means I have no more power steering or power brakes. So um, thank God, God has given me so many muscles, uh, because I had to use all of them to slow down this like massive rig down this thing. I'm literally like in first gear, foot over the emergency brake, looking at the mountain to see a good place to run it into, in case this thing gets away from me. I'm like, it was 
pretty nerve-wracking as a dad and as a husband. Like, man, this is, you know, I'm like made for the beach. Right? Like, the Lord said, you can, you can call it here, so because you, can, you wouldn't survive in the mountains. Um, made that very clear. And so we, we finally get that. We get pulled over to the side because we just lost all power altogether. And we're like, what do we do? Like, do you call a tow truck for like an RV? It's getting dark. Um, and so luckily, by the grace of God, this like mobile mechanics are like, hey, I'll drive, I'll drive two hours up to you guys and stuff like that. Like, Thank you, Jesus. And so he finally gets here. And like, you just, you never even met this guy, but you've never been so excited. Like, I wanted to give him a hug. His name was James. <laughs> I'm just like, James. Thank you for saving my family. Fixed our alternator, but turned out it wasn't the alternator. Praise the Lord. And so we're like, okay, well, our car started now. The battery's working again, but we still have no power. And so we're like, okay, what do we do? Do we, like, stay on the side of the mountain for a night? And so we just asked him, like, James, dude, you don't know me, but we're such close friends now. Would you follow us down the mountain? And so he's so gracious. He follows down. Guys, I've never been so stoked to be in Visalia in my entire life. I'm going to just say Visalia is great, okay? Go stay at the Holiday Inn. It's amazing. Um, and it was, ended up being kind of like one of our most memorable parts of our vacation. And it was actually in that moment, I was thinking, because I'm a pastor, I'm like, how can this be a sermon analogy? <laughs> right? So... And I'm just realizing in this moment that we're in this series um, called Hope is Alive. We're talking about how, how do we, in the midst of life, in the midst of setbacks and breakdowns and, uh, and, and suffering and pain, how do we have hope in our heart? And what's so amazing is in the same way in that moment, immediately I'm like, who do I call? Who's going to come and get me? Is that in that moment I'm just reminded that there will never be a season or a time in my life where the Holy Spirit is not present with me instantaneously. And that, in the same way when the mechanic showed up, I don't have to wait for God to show up. He's there, which means I always get to have hope. Because as long as he's with me, as long as he's along with us on this path, we get to live that life with him. And so um, with that, and this whole series talking about how do we have hope in our hearts, we're going to be continuing uh, through this uh, letter that this man named Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus, and actually probably surrounding churches in the area. And he opens this letter up with this brilliant um, opening. And a matter of fact, most uh, people who study Greek literature would say this might be the most exquisite, long-running, beautiful sentence in all of Greek literature, even beyond the Bible. So because Paul opens it up talking about you have been blessed. And he says the word blessed three times which is really trying to get the attention of his listeners that, listen, you have no idea how blessed you are. And then he just goes for it. And he just starts finding, trying to find language to describe everything that God has done to bless us uh, in, in his sight since the beginning of creation. So he uses all these amazing and dramatic and theological words to try and get to the essence of how truly blessed we are because of what Jesus has done. And that's where we've been the past few weeks. That's where we're going to be tonight. And we're going to just stop and focus in on one word um, that really just captures the sense of of what God is doing through his son Jesus. So if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter one. We're going to read the longest run on sentence in the Bible together, which is verse three through 14. Yes, we have periods and commas to make sense of it, but in the Greek, it's just one long statement. So chew on that as we read this together. If you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, it should be on the screen as well. 
Starting in verse 3, Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy, holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his, through his blood for the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed for us in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Here's a great line. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. We're going to be talking about that next week. In him we were chosen, or in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. You were marked, with, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen? Woo! Wow. We can go home. It's so rich and so good, and you can tell why we're going slower than I originally planned. There's just so much in here that Paul is just, he's, he's singing. He's shouting. You can imagine him walking in his prison cell or his, under house arrest, and as a scribe is writing, he's just like, let me just try and get this out, exactly what Jesus has done for us. It's so good, and he, and he walks through this amazing articulation of all that God has done, and we're going to be focusing specifically tonight on the word that we have been adopted and what that would have meant for those sitting in that home in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, and what that would have sparked in their soul and their imagination, that they would have heard that word spoken over them. But in order to do that, we have to understand a little bit about their worldview. So we're going to do a, a little five-minute history lesson, um, and everyone who loves history is going to really enjoy this, and those who don't. I don't care. Um, just sit there and smile and pretend like you do um, because it's really going to help us understand what this passage is truly trying to say. So uh, in your Bible, there is, it's separated into really two main um, testaments, two main sections or covenants, and that's the Old and New Testament. And in between that, there might be a page, but really there's 400 years in between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. And during those 400 years, a lot has happened in the world. Um, probably one of the most remarkable things is Alexander the Great has risen to power, and he has taken over much of the ancient world. And as Alexander the Great rises to power and overtakes the Persian Empire, he does something that really no um, military or world global power has done to that point, where he doesn't just try and overthrow a town, he tries to overthrow their culture. 
And you guys might remember studying this in school, but he started the Hellenization, is what they call it, or kind of making a town or a city Greek. And so they would do this by invading a city and leaving the people there, leaving the people in power. But what they would do is they would introduce certain things that they believe were the most beautiful and profound things about Greek culture, not to dominate or twist their arm, but to woo the people to live that way, that Hellenistic life, and to Hellenize that town. And so they would introduce philosophy, and they would introduce drama and poetry and art. They introduced athletics. Um, And so, and as they were doing this, it, it took over the entire world, and even when Rome came to power after Greece, um, they essentially just did a copycat of what Greece did, and they adopted everything that was Greek. And so this is why most historians refer to this time period as the Greco-Roman time period. Even though Greece had a very short-lived military victory, their culture is still being influenced, influencing ours today. Um, and so what it was phenomenal. And so this is really the context of what's being had here. So if you can just imagine with me, Ephesus um, is one of those cities. It was the second biggest city next to Rome during that time. And in Ephesus, they built this huge 25,000-seat theater that they would host dramas and poetry. I think we have, there's a picture of it um, there today. And this is amazing. Um, and so this world and this culture and this worldview, their values were completely adopted by the Ephesian people, and this is the kind of people that Paul is writing to. Now, in order to understand a little about their worldview, you have to understand one of their key values within that culture and worldview was the exaltation of the human body. If you look at Greek art and sculptures, um, if you read their poetry, their exaltation of the physical human body was one thing that marked who they were. So much so that even when they would compete athletically, whether it was the start of the Olympics or in these um, gymnasiums, they would compete without clothes on because they believed as much as the sports were entertaining, the human body was praised and worshipped as the most beautiful thing in all of creation. Um, sounds a little similar to even the culture that we live in today. And that's a lot in part because of the Greek influence that happened 2,000 years ago. Well, this infiltrated the culture so much that some horrific things began to happen. Um, there are writings and letters and different historians have written about how in that day, if a child was born that did not match the gender you wanted, so if you wanted a male, which was prized in that culture, it was a male-dominant society, and you had a daughter, you could discard or kill that daughter legally. Um, if you had a child born with a deformity or a handicap, physically or mentally, that child legally could be discarded. They had a practice called exposing children. And in Ephesus, they practiced this where they were, Ephesus was built into a hillside where you could go and take your child, climb on the other side of the hill, and you could leave your child there, and you could go back and you would be offering it to the gods, and that was completely okay by legal society. Even, even Socrates has this quote that just reveals their, their thinking. It says, the children of inferior parents or any child of the others that is born defective will hide in a secret and unknown place if the guardian breed is to remain pure. I mean, you hear that. This, 
These are the people that Paul's writing to. And the reason we know that is because there is evidence that what the early church would do in that day is they would go and they would go to this hillside and they would rescue some of these children and bring them into their families. The early church was known, renowned for this practice, them as well as human traffickers, people who would grab these children and raise them up for the brothels or to be sold into slavery. The church began to take on that practice and redeem it to bring those children up. So it's safe to assume that in the audience that is hearing these words are men and women, maybe young men and young women, who they themselves at one time were left for dead because of a deformity, because of not being wanted, and they were welcomed into the church. So imagine with me as you start to hear these words spoken by that house church elder. He says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Just stop right there. That word blameless in the Greek is this word tamim, and it means without defect. How powerful is this? From the very beginning of the world, of the universe, before the sun was set in place, before the stars were flung into their galaxies, God knew you and he chose you to be pure and without defect in his sight. At this point, you, and within the first few sentences of this letter, you are left weeping. Because all you've known in your culture is you are known by your defect. And Paul says, no, 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 no. The way God has blessed us through Jesus is that you were chosen not even at birth, but before birth, without defect in his sight. You were brought into this family. He says you were chosen. I mean, just powerful words, right? says that you were chosen yes, in him before the creation of the world to be holy and without defect in his sight. In love, he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, listen, most of you, if you have some sort of church background, get stopped at that word predestined, and you're stuck with, like, is God a Calvinist or not? But for the audience that word was a setup word for the word adoption. That the destiny that the sovereign God had for you, don't, get, don't stop there. That was leading you to this other concept, this other word that God in his sovereignty was always pointing you for you to have this relational status of an adopted son or daughter. And at this point, you've lost it. You can't believe what you're hearing, what Jesus has done for you. This word adopted is this powerful pairing of these two Greek words, this Greek word huio, which means son or daughter. And and in this sense, again, because of the culture, it says son, but you could read it the same way we say guys, and it means guys and girls. Huio means child, right? Son or daughter. And the second word it's paired with is this word thesia. And thesia means to be placed. So a son who is placed, or the placement of a son, or the placement of a daughter. He says from the beginning of time that he has chosen you to be a placed son or a placed 
daughter in his family according to his pleasure and will. You're a placed son. You're a placed daughter. You were chosen, picked, put right there in the middle of this family, this overwhelming concept. And this is why it's overwhelming. It's not just because of the word, but it's because of what the word invokes in their imagination. So let me just talk to you a little bit about what adoption looked like in the ancient Greco-Roman world, specifically within the Jewish Christian uh, worldview. And the first thing you need to know about adoption in that time period is adoption was a public ceremony where with the initiation from the parents and the acceptance from the child. And this is, this is huge. So when he says you're adopted, the first thing that we can take from this is that your relationship with God was initiated by him as the father, not by you. And this is huge. I know that might sound elementary, but think about how the words we use when we talk about our relationship with God. When did you start following Jesus? I'd be like asking an adopted child, when did you choose your family? See, adoption says, no, 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 you were chosen. My, my older brother and sister-in-law are in the process of adopting a child that probably isn't even born yet. They're already pay, making payments, setting up their house, doing tests, doing the work because they know there's a child that's being prepared and that belongs to them. And someday that child's going to be in their family because of their initiative. And in that culture, those, those ceremonies were in public because those people being adopted oftentimes were kind of being abused by the culture around them. So this was a statement saying, hands off them. They belong to me now. They're part of my family. I chose them. I initiated it. And that child's only response in there is just to accept. That's our role. It's not to find God. It's to realize he found us. It's not to choose God's real as he chose us, right? And this, is, this is the gospel. He came to us. It's the incarnation and the crucifixion. It's all of how God came and welcomed us into their family. And we have this response to say, yes. There's this beautiful public space that we get to do that. And a couple weeks ago, we got to baptize people. It's their public ceremony of saying they're in. They're welcomed in because of the grace of God. The second thing that we need to know about adoption is that adoption meant that that child was given a new name. This is huge, not just in that culture, but in our culture. How significant are names? I mean, can you remember the time you ran into someone and they remembered your name? Maybe here at church, maybe at Starbucks, maybe at a restaurant. When they remembered your name, it immediately like illuminates this thing in your heart of like, oh my gosh, what? They know me. It's so entrenched into our identity. And so one of the first things that would happen when you were adopted is that the name you carried, often probably carrying with baggage, was changed and you now had a new name. That was your new identity. The third thing that would happen in adoption is if they were a slave and they were adopted by their family, all their debts were canceled. This is so amazing. Listen, in adoption, you weren't just welcomed into a family, given a new name, and then had to work to pay off those debts from your previous life. Those debts no longer existed. They were gone. 
That that welcoming into the family not only meant that those debts were gone, but it meant the wealth and the inheritance of that new family was yours. You didn't just go from a deficit to zero. You went from a deficit to being wealthy as that family was wealthy. But, well, my friends, you've just been adopted into the family of God. Your deficits, your debt, your shame, your guilt that you've been carrying along with you, the minute you were adopted because of the grace of God is not only canceled, you have been given an inheritance through Jesus. That is how we walk. The fourth thing about adoption that we need to understand is that the inheritance that they were given was the exact same inheritance as a natural child. How incredible is that? So it wasn't like you were adopted in and you got the leftovers of the inheritance that was coming to you. You got the exact same amount as a son or daughter born in blood to that family. How beautiful that, the, the beautiful glory inheritance that Jesus has in scripture literally says he's sharing with us. We get to share in the inheritance with Jesus. Not a bad deal, right? Bummer for him. Good for us. Maybe not. He enjoys it. But we, this isn't like we get the leftovers of the glory Jesus has given. No, no, no. He's welcoming us into that same inheritance. How, how, how overwhelming is that? And the last thing, maybe one of my favorites, is that in that culture, you had the legal right to disown a child uh, for really any, any reason. Son or daughter walked away, they sinned, they dishonored your family. You could disown them legally and they were cut off. If you adopted a child, that child would not be able to ever be disowned. Hear this. Never be disowned. I mean, this is Romans, right? Nothing could separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Death or life. Things in this earth, things in the heavens. The past, nothing can separate you because you were adopted. You can't run away from it. You can't do anything to reverse it. It's given to you, and it's given you a seal of the Holy Spirit. We find out a few verses later. That seal cannot be broken by your actions, only by the king. What a beautiful, profound picture. And, And maybe you're here tonight, and you've never experienced what I'm talking about. You've never been a part of the family of God, received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, become a part of this amazing, beautiful reality called a relationship with God. And tonight's your night you get to do that. We had a few people last service who decided to, to make that step. Right? A few people in the service who just said, I accept. I receive this gift of adoption that was paid for by Jesus. But the likelihood is a lot of you in this room would actually consider yourselves, I I am a child of God, I'm adopted, I'm a follower of Jesus, I believe in God. And for those of us in this room who would identify with that camp, um, this sermon is as much for you as it is for the person just coming into the family. And here's why. Adoption is a moment and it is also a process. This is huge. And if you talk to any sort of family who's adopted, we have about four or five families in Light Church who've adopted. 
is especially when you adopt a child out of a neglectful situation, there are things, there's a process that they need to go through of forgetting, and there's a process they need to go through of remembering. Let's talk about that for a moment. Because you, we've all, right, those who are accepted, are adopted into this incredible family's incredible inheritance, but there are things that we actively need to be forgetting. There's a professor in, um, in Portland named Gary Brashear, and they adopted a little girl into their home who came from a very neglectful house where the father was abusive. And, and when Gary would come home after a long day of teaching, maybe after grading midterms or something, and clearly frustrated, he'd walk into the house, and the daughter would take one look at him, see his face, and run to her room, crawl up into a fetal position, and just sob, waiting to be beaten. And Gary tells the story of her him walking to her room, picking her up in her arms and says, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Do you know why? Because you're a Brashear. This is not who we are. And this process took years. And slowly but surely, she would read the expression on her father's face, whether it was good or bad, and it would not send her into a panic, but she would not leave that state of peace. But that's us. Some of you received this good news and you responded to the gospel, but the reality is you're still living as if you're not a part of this brand new family and receive this incredible new inheritance and you find yourself anxious and worried and, like, and, 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 and trapped in guilt and shame and it is horrible. And tonight, would you be reminded of who you are? You're Jesus's now. You're wrapped in his arm. You have his name. You get his inheritance, his covering. You don't have any reason to find yourselves locked in the past. And there's other of us in this room who maybe you've forgotten the past, but the reality is that you need to remember who you are right now in Christ. And, and, and this is just, an, just another story of adoption. Um, Francis Chan, who probably a lot of you guys are familiar with, he's a writer and a speaker, recently was interviewed and was telling a story of them about uh, getting ready to have their sixth, sixth child and them having an opportunity to take in a foster care child to adopt who is 16 years old, a 16-year-old girl. And they, um, they feel like, this is not a good timing. And he says, it's never a good time. <laughs> he says, but we just knew it was the Lord. And so they welcomed this girl in, and the social worker walked up to the door and was talking to, talking to them and just said, and just the social worker looked at him and said, how long can she stay here? Francis Chan turned from the social worker, looked at his new daughter and said, you can stay here as long as you want. I will treat you like one of my daughters and everything I have is yours. And in that moment, he talks about how the Holy Spirit spoke over him. He's like, this is what I've been trying to tell you for years. I'm like, wow, what a powerful picture because how many of us show up into the family of God with the question, 
How long can I stay here? How much will I mess up before you kick me out? Uh, Do I really belong here? And the Holy Spirit would just speak to every one of our hearts tonight to say, you get to be here forever. And I will treat you the same way I treat my son. And everything I have is yours. This isn't something I'm making up. This is an analogy. This is literally what happens in Luke chapter 15 as this this son, this prodigal son, runs away and squanders his father's wealth, returns only to be celebrated and embraced and welcomed while the older brother looked at this happening frustrated because he's watching his younger brother who squandered his father's wealth be honored and celebrated in this way. And this is what the brother says. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours come who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, listen, his son, you were always with me. And all that is mine is yours. How many of us live in this perpetual state of you never, you never show up, God. You never answer my prayers. It's always like this. And we're, we're throwing these darts at God. And all he does is he gently and graciously looks at us and says, I've never left you. Every, listen, is everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Adoption requires us to live into our adoption, to remember what the Father has spoken to us. Everything he has is ours. He doesn't intend for us to be adopted as a son and treated like a slave. To be welcomed as a daughter and then be treated like a servant. No, 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 no. To live as adopted children changes everything. Everything. And he does this. I love this. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance to his pleasure and will. My friends, this is not an obligatory divine act where God has to do this. It pleases God to welcome you in all of your shame and guilt, all of your spiritual handicaps, all of your emotional baggage, all of your sin, everything that would make you feel disqualified. He sees you and welcomes you in and says, you're mine. You never have to leave. I'm giving you everything that I have. And all I'm asking you to do is don't forget it. Don't forget. You're adopted. I want to watch a short video with you guys. And this is a, it's a video of a family um, that have chosen to live their life uh, in a way that adopts children with special needs from around the world. And my hope for this is twofold. One, as we watch this, would it stir our hearts because we are a church who values and cares for adoption. We'll talk about that in a minute. But would you also see yourself in this video? 
welcomed in to the family of God. My favorite quote of all time was our furnace repair man comes into the house, stops dead in his tracks, and says, this looks like some kind of United Nations meeting. I was born in Bangkok. Bangalore, India. Connecticut. And I was born in Romania. Ethiopia. Which is in Africa. In China. <laughs> Sharon is the gas pedal, and I am the brakes. Over and over she'll say, I found this child who needs X and Y and Z, and all we'd have to do is fly over the ocean, get funding, connect this dot to here, and it'd be done. We're such victims of our culture because our culture tells us your kids have to look perfect and be in all the perfect schools, and you can't do that with a big family, but if you just concentrate on what's important, the rest will follow. People discouraged us. They thought we were gonna ruin our lives by taking all these special kids, and they said, you don't know what to do. And it's true that we had no experience, and we didn't really know how to raise them, but you, you see what happens with unconditional love. You give a person unconditional love, and they, they blossom. I feel like having these kids has really helped us find our life, find our meaning, find our purpose. It took me decades to figure this out, but there's no physical thing that you can buy that's actually gonna give you true peace and happiness and the pure joy that will come from a, a rescue and a ransom of a child's life is probably the most satisfying thing you can imagine. We talk about adoption. We tell them they're adopted and we kind of tell them, you know, being born into a family, you don't even decide that. It kind of happens biologically, but when you're adopted, your parents looked out at the whole world and picked you. You think that they don't really know the gravity of them being rescued or saved. Then you'll see them in an external setting, like one of them is in front of 300 people last Friday night, and he tells people that he probably wouldn't be alive if he hadn't been adopted by his family. Those are the, like the goosebump moments when you go, He's got it. Reflections he 
Um, in Romania, at least at the time when I was born, um, when you were when you were born with a, a deformity, quote quote, it um, it was considered a curse by God. I was um, kind of distanced and not treated right, and kind of not really getting any care that a normal baby should, which is why when I was one and a half years old, I weighed nine pounds. It was rough in the, in the first year of my life, but I lived. But no matter where you were before, it's like where you can be now, your past doesn't define that. This family has proven that. It's just like you have a dying boy from Romania or starving kids from Africa, and you bring them to a place where they can be, I guess, human to the fullest, and that's, that's a generous thing. Family is everything. Family's fun. <laughs> Interesting. His family is just people you can be a fool around and they'll still love you. Awesome. No, should I do the Dennehy face? Family is something that I can count on. Family is adoption. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Um, Oh, I've seen that video now a few times, and every time it's just so stirring. Um, something I just wanted you, I just that was new for me as I was watching this video this time was watching their son drive without arms, watching their son play piano um, without arms. What a great picture of what happens when we enter relationship with Jesus, that it's not some magical potion that you become someone that you're not, because he designed you that way, but the potential you have to bring beauty and meaning and significance to this world drastically changes than if one of those children were left in the state of the orphanage that they came from. And that's God's desire for every one of us. A lot of, a lot of you guys know my niece, Ruby, passed away last October. She was adopted from Taiwan and had cerebral palsy. And um, man, she's such a part of our family. And then I think our grief has like revealed that at a deeper level. She was, she's one of us. But watching her flourish under Zach and Tiffany's parenting, the care she received, the, the possibilities she was able to have, the world that opened up to her because of the love of her parents, was, it's changed my life. And that's what God offers every single one of us. And he desires his church to model that, 
like I said, there's four or five families in our church currently who have adopted children. Um, this month, we send a percentage of everything that comes in and our giving and our tithe to an orphanage in Uganda, the only one who specializes in special needs kids. Because we believe this is the heart of God. This is all of us. So how could we not champion adoption and make it a part of our culture and our, and our desire as a church to be about his work. And whether that means you adopt or we come alongside the families in our church who have adopted or we fund an adoption, whatever that means for you or you're a midwife or you're whatever that means, you help out at a, a pregnancy clinic or whatever that looks like is that we as a church would say, we've been adopted. We're gonna be about God's work in this area. But we have to start with us, that we've been adopted, we've been chosen. So this is what we're going to do right now. We're going to sing um, just a couple lines from the song, and I'm going to get out of the way, and I'm just going to ask you just to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I know some of, for you, some of you that's hard. It's a lot of noise in your head. But I'm going to believe that as we just stop, that God's going to speak to you, whatever that means. Some of you guys are making first-time Decisions to accept that love tonight. Some of you are responding to the gospel for the first time. Some of you guys have been adopted but not living like it. But let's just take a couple minutes. Let's let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts what he needs to, to share with us tonight.